Choose life. This morning we come to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and each week for the past number of months, we've always started with this title in front of us on the screen. It's a two-word summary of the book's message. As Moses has preached to these people on the banks of the Jordan River, he has been calling them to put their faith in God and to live by God's instruction. That is what it means to choose life. The book of Deuteronomy has a positive purpose. It's not a book of burdensome, dusty rules. This book is a call to truly live by turning from false gods and living for the true God. But this book calling us to live has been overshadowed by death. In the very first chapter, we learned that Moses is going to die. He's led these people for 40 years. Under his leadership, they have come to the very brink of the promised land. He has preached these sermons, preparing the people for life in the land. But Moses himself is not going to enter the land. From chapter 1, the death of Moses has cast a shadow over this whole book. We've known from the start that this book about life is going to end with a death. And now we've arrived at the end. This morning we're going to hear about death on the mountain. And we're told about this death in two stages. The end of chapter 32 tells us why Moses is going to die. Then chapter 34 shows us the bigger picture surrounding Moses' death. So let's read both of those passages. First of all, at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 32, which you'll find on page 212, or in the larger print Bibles, 326. The bulk of chapter 32, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the bulk of that chapter records the song of Moses. That song focuses on the crookedness of human beings, our corruption and our foolishness. And at the end of that song, we read in chapter 32, verse 48, on that same day, the Lord told Moses, go up into the Abiram range to Mount Nebo in Moab, opposite Jericho, and view Canaan, the land I am giving the Israelites as their own possession. There, on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die and be gathered to your people, just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. This is because both of you broke faith with me, in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I am giving to the people of Israel. Then if you'll turn over to chapter 34, which this time follows right on from the blessing proclaimed by Moses, a blessing that focuses on God's majestic saving power. And at the end of that blessing, we read in chapter 34, verse 1, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo 
from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, opposite Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite, opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is God's word. The two passages we've just read give us two different perspectives on Moses' death. They don't contradict one another, but they each highlight a different aspect of this death on the mountain. The first passage shows the reality of dust to dust, the consequence of sin. We noticed earlier these verses at the end of chapter 32 follow after the song of Moses. And that song, as we said, focused on the crookedness of human beings, the fact that we are a foolish and unfaithful people. And after Moses has taught Israel that song, God speaks to him, reminding Moses that he himself is part of that foolish and unfaithful people. In many ways, Moses is Israel's very best man. But he's just a man. So he's crooked like all men and women. And that is why he is going to die on the mountain. In chapter 32, verse 49, God tells Moses to climb Mount Nebo. That's here on the east side of the Jordan River. And from Mount Nebo, Moses can see the promised land. But look what God says next in verse 50. There on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die and be gathered to your people, just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Moses will be gathered to his people. In other words, he will die, just like every single one of his ancestors did. 
The first few chapters of Deuteronomy retold the story of the previous generation of Israelites, how they all died in the desert outside the promised land. Why? Because they rebelled against the Lord and they refused to trust him. Moses and his brother Aaron were given special responsibility by the Lord, of course, to lead the people. Moses was the prophet. He spoke God's word to the people. Aaron was the priest. He represented the people to God. But those special responsibilities didn't make Moses and Aaron better than the rest of the people. In their death, Moses and Aaron will be gathered to their people. Because they're part of that unfaithful people. In fact, Aaron is already dead at this point. He died on a different mountain at an earlier stage of the journey. And now Moses is going to die too. And in verse 51, God gives the reason why. God says, this is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. The incident God is referring to happened after he'd brought the people out of their slavery in Egypt. Through Moses and Aaron, God led the people out into the desert, where they very quickly ran out of water. You can read the details of that in Numbers chapter 20. We're told that in their thirst, the people got angry, and they focused that anger on Moses and Aaron. They accused Moses and Aaron of bringing them out into the desert to die. The situation got ugly. Moses and Aaron were at a loss. But the Lord directed them. He told Moses to take his staff which was a sign that he operated with God's authority. Moses was to take a staff and he was to speak to a rock that was there beside their camp. God's instruction was very clear. Moses was to speak to the rock and in response, God would bring water from the rock so the people could drink. The instruction was clear, but Moses didn't follow it. Instead, he gathered the people at the rock and with Aaron beside him in his own anger, Moses said, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And then with a grand flourish, so they could all see what great power Moses had, he took his staff and he whacked the rock with it twice. The water gushed out and everybody drank. Brilliant. Problem solved. What a great guy Moses is. We underestimated Moses. What amazing power Moses has. Thank goodness we have Moses to provide for us. But in fact, as the people were quenching their thirst, God said to Moses and Aaron, the consequence of what you have just done is that you will not enter the promised land. Why? As we listen to what happened, we might think, what on earth could have been such a big deal there? What could have deserved such a terrible consequence? Well, here in our passage, as God recalls that incident, he explains what the big deal was. 
In verse 51, you and Aaron broke faith with me. Or we could translate it, you acted treacherously. Or even you betrayed me. And God says, you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. To us, as we read about it, and to the Israelites as they actually saw it happen, it looks like it's no big deal. That Moses whacked the rock instead of speaking to it. That he said he and Aaron would bring water from the rock. It's what it looks like to us, but God could see what lay behind those words and those actions. One writer sums it up like this. What Moses did defied the direction of the Lord, demonstrated his lack of faith in the Lord, and brought glory to himself rather than to the Lord. What Moses did defied the direction of the Lord, demonstrated his lack of faith in the Lord, and brought glory to himself rather than to the Lord. In a difficult, threatening situation, Moses did what he thought was best. And he succeeded in making himself look like the hero. And in the process, Moses showed himself to be crooked and corrupt. Just like all the rest of the human race. And so Moses will face the same consequence as the rest of the human race. Back in Genesis chapter 3, after the first man and woman sinned, God said to them, dust you are, and to dust you will return. And ever since, every man and woman have shown themselves to be sinners, like the first man and woman, and they have faced the same consequence for their sin. Death, a return to the dust. So Moses may have been Israel's very best man. If anyone could have deserved to escape returning to the dust, surely it would have been Moses. But Moses proves the point that even the very best of men are sinners. Even the very best are headed for dust. And so even if any of us here this morning want to think of ourselves as the best of men or the best of women, even if that's our opinion of ourselves, the Bible wants us to confront the reality that we are no better than Moses. We too have defied the direction of the Lord. We've disobeyed him. Even if we've never read the Bible, we have disobeyed the knowledge of the truth that is stitched into our souls. We have done things that were wrong and we knew they were wrong. And we have demonstrated our lack of faith in the Lord. We have shown over and over again in our lives that we think we know best, that we are wiser than God. And we have brought glory to ourselves rather than to the Lord. In moments of success, we have thought of ourselves as the hero of the situation. And we've allowed others to think that too. Often we have even encouraged them to think that. Aren't those things true? 
Aren't we guilty as charged? And our guilt means we face the same consequence as Moses and the rest of humanity. We face death. A return to the dust. At the moment we hear constantly about the climate crisis and its consequences. And no doubt that is an important subject to be addressed and thought about. But we all face the even more pressing crisis of our own death. But dust to dust is not all there is to say about Moses. And it need not be all there is to say about us. Because in our second passage, we're shown that yes, Moses was just a man... But his life was part of a greater reality, a reality that is more than dust. We saw in our previous passage that it followed the song of Moses. The second passage follows the blessing of Moses. This man of dust, before he climbed the mountain to die, he was able to pause and pronounce the words of great hope that we find in chapter 33. He pronounced those words of hope on those fellow sinners in front of him. And here in chapter 34, we see why that is. Why there is more to this picture than just returning to dust. In verses 1 to 3, we're told Moses climbs the mountain and he surveys the promised land. He turns his gaze in a great wide circle. First looking to the far north, then west, then south, and finally coming back up to the city of Jericho, which is just across the river from where he's standing. And verse 4 shows that this sight Moses sees was in the mind of the Lord long, long before Moses ever came on the scene. As Moses looks across the land, the Lord says to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. Who was Abraham? He was no one special. Earlier in Deuteronomy, he was called a wandering Aramean, a desert nomad. The book of Joshua tells us Abraham was an idol worshiper. A man destined for the dust, like the rest of humanity. But God had a plan, a plan to reclaim humanity from the dust. And the plan started with this wandering idol worshiper, Abraham. If you read Abraham's story, you will see how God intervened in his life and how God set in motion a plan that would continue unfolding long, long after Abraham's death. God would work through Abraham's descendants to reclaim men and women from the dust. And not just Israelite men and women, but those from all peoples on earth. Abraham's physical descendants were just a part of God's plan. The gift of the promised land was just a stage in God's plan. His plan was much more ambitious than one nation or one piece of land. And so when Moses stands on the mountain and looks across the river, 
he is not looking at the end of God's plan. He's just looking at the next phase of it. Moses dies knowing that his work is over now. He has played his part in God's plan. But Moses dies knowing that God's work will go on. Joshua has been chosen by the Lord for the next phase. He will lead the people across the river and into Canaan. And so, yes, verse 8 tells us the people grieve for Moses, but they do not grieve as if the show is over now that Moses is dead. At just the right time, God has given them Joshua. At just the right time, God will always provide what is needed to move his plan forward. Moses is dead. But there may be just a hint here that there is more to come from Moses. Verse 6, you'll notice, says, The Lord buried him. But only the Lord knows where. And verse 7 reminds us, Moses did not die because his body gave out on him. He was not sick. And despite his age, he was full of strength. So God laid a body in the grave that was lifeless, yes, but not worn out. Maybe... Moses would need that body one more time. Why might he need it? Well, look again at verses 10 to 12. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. According to these verses, there were two things that made Moses so special. Yes, we saw earlier he is just a man, but he was a special man for two reasons. First, he knew the Lord face to face. Moses had an unparalleled level of relationship with the Lord. And second, at the time of the exodus from Egypt, the Lord did unparalleled signs and wonders through Moses. Think of the ten plagues on Egypt. Those are actually signs of divine power. Think of the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. Those signs and wonders were not just party tricks. They demonstrated the Lord's power in an undeniable way. And they freed the Lord's people from a life of miserable slavery. The signs and wonders Moses did were signs and wonders with a purpose. God used them to break the power of Pharaoh and to break the power of whatever demons were behind the false gods Pharaoh worshipped and relied on. So, no one knew the Lord like Moses did, and no one was used by God like Moses was. The Exodus was a unique event in the life of the Israelites. In the course of one dark night, they were changed from slaves to free men and women, freed by God's power. 
And so it's no wonder verse 10 tells us that since Moses, there has been no prophet like him. And yet earlier in this book, Moses said that God would raise up a prophet like him from among the Israelites. Another with an unparalleled relationship to the Lord. Another who would deliver God's people. Who is that second Moses? Well, later in the Old Testament, we meet a likely candidate, a man called Elijah. In the Old Testament, only Elijah comes close to Moses in this combination of face-to-face relationship with the Lord and the signs and wonders God does through him. But Elijah did not bring about another exodus. He was not the promised prophet like Moses. And yet Elijah was like Moses in one other respect. We noticed a moment ago the unusual circumstances of Moses' death. God took him while he was still strong, almost as if he might need his body again. And Elijah too, we find, was taken by God while he was still strong and full of life. 2 Kings chapter 2 describes Elijah being taken to heaven in a chariot of fire, almost as if he might need his body again. And when we get to the New Testament, we find that those two men did indeed need their bodies again. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us about a day when Jesus took three of his disciples up on a mountain. And there on that mountain, Jesus was met by Moses and Elijah. And Luke tells us those two men spoke with Jesus about his exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah needed their bodies again so that they could testify that Jesus is the second Moses. He has a relationship to God the Father that surpassed even the amazing relationship Moses had with the Lord. Moses was a servant of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Moses delivered God's people from slavery in Egypt. Jesus delivers God's people from slavery in sin. Jesus made it possible for us, men and women of dust, to participate in a greater reality, to experience eternal resurrection life with God. How did Jesus bring about this exodus from sin to eternal life? How did he do it? Well, like Moses, Jesus climbed a mountain, a hill outside of Jerusalem, and there he died on a cross. But Jesus didn't die for his own sin, like Moses did. Jesus was a man, but he was never just a man. He was always the divine Son of God. And Jesus was not condemned to death like the rest of us. He chose death for our sake. And through his sacrificial death, he triumphed over our sin. 
And so because of Jesus, we can say death has been swallowed up in victory. In Jesus, we look forward to a future that is more than dust. Through faith in him, we are part of a greater reality. We look forward to resurrection life on the other side of death. It's important to realize what we're looking forward to is not just a new lease of life on these weak bodies. Maybe that's what Moses and Elijah were given on the day they met with Jesus in front of the disciples. But we look forward to more than that. We look forward to an eternity in perfected bodies, imperishable bodies, in God's perfected heaven and earth. So if you have never faced up to the reality of your own sin and the death that's coming because of your sin, Please don't go to your grave thinking you are nothing but dust. There is a greater reality. And you can participate in that reality. You can be part of it. By owning up to your sin, that means by agreeing with God that you have defied his direction, you have demonstrated your lack of faith in him, you have brought glory to yourself rather than to the Lord. We all have. And we get nowhere by denying it. Own up to your sin, then put your trust in Jesus. Trust in him and what he has done to deliver you from the guilt of your sin. To deliver you from the eternal death that goes with your sin. That is what it means to choose life. That is ultimately what the book of Deuteronomy has been pointing us to. And if you have done that, those of us who have done that, let us never go back to thinking we deserve to be more than dust. If Moses didn't deserve it, you and I never will. So instead of getting big ideas about ourselves, as God's people, let's give thanks for the awesome deeds of Jesus Christ. He has saved us and given us new life and that one day he will raise us from the dust to enjoy new imperishable life. And in the meantime, let's be men and women who choose life every day. As we choose to trust in Jesus and not in ourselves. As we choose to live by God's good and wise instruction. Not thinking that we know better than what he has said in his word. Let's show by our lives that in Christ we are part of a greater reality. We're here not just to live for ourselves and then return to the dust. But show by our lives we are here to live for God. Then be raised to resurrection life. And as we consider all of this, 
isn't it so appropriate that today, after looking at these passages of Scripture, we can take time to join with the whole nation and reflect together on the reality of death as we silently remember those who lost their lives in war. And to lead us into this time of remembrance in a few moments, our musicians first are going to sing a hymn that was written especially for Remembrance Sunday. It's Remembrance Hymn. We haven't sung it before, so the musicians will sing this for us, give us a chance to reflect, and then after that we will go into our time of silence.
Oh, 